0: And uh, we are being joined together as one church today via video. The Ridgeview campus is joining us right now, and we're glad to have them here with us. The reason that we're doing that is you'll remember um, John Wesley Crockett was our minister to children here at the Antioch campus for many, many years. And he last fall went to be the lead pastor at First Southern Baptist Church Lansing And John Wesley and his family are on vacation today, and so they asked Pastor Darren to come and fill the pulpit for him, so they've called in a favor, and so everybody uh, gets me, so yay, yay, that's super exciting. Before we begin today, though, I I want to talk a little bit about our uh, announcement that the elders made through me in the e this past week. If you read the e you'll know that the elders are unanimous in their agreement that we need to promote Jonathan Locke to the role of a vocational elder right now he is the minister of (coughs) i'm choked up about it (coughs) he is the uh... he is the minister of uh, adults here at the antioch campus and we're going to promote him to a vocational elder and he will begin to serve in a new capacity that we've never had before called the campus pastor here at the Antioch campus. Now, I will continue to be uh, the one that you normally hear preaching, but Jonathan will take over the day-to-day functioning and leadership and ministry that takes place here at the Antioch campus. The reason he is going to do that, thank you, boss. Uh, that's the reason John has been employed here for so, so long. Um, but uh, the, the, uh, the, the need for doing this is all because of our vision. Our vision as a church is that we believe that God is is leading us to become a church that is establishing campuses locally and planting autonomous churches locally regionally nationally and internationally by 2028 which is our 50th anniversary and I've essentially in the five-plus years now that we have been a multi-site church have functioned as the de facto Campus pastor at the Antioch campus, and that has kept me from being able to to be uh, an effective leader um, of all of, of Blue Valley. And as we look forward to planning more campuses and planning churches, it's more necessary for me to become uh, more over it all and, and being in a lot of places rather than being locked down with the details of one particular campus. In many respects, it's very much like uh, a small church pastor. When you're a small church pastor, when you show up there, you do. Everything. You're the minister of music. I dodged that bullet, and the church that I led dodged that bullet. We didn't have to do that, but you wind up being the minister of music, and you wind up being the student minister, and the administrator, and you wind up doing a whole lot of things. And then, as the church grows, then other people are able to come on and take that particular responsibility. It frees you up to to lead in a more general way. Well, as we become a multi-campus church, um, and more and more, this frees me up to be more of a general leader of all of it. And so that's why it's been proposed. But I think if you been Baptist very long at all, you know that you do not need good information to have a good conversation in a Baptist church. Am I right? Right? I mean, we can can talk about stuff. And so already, and just since Thursday, there have been things creep up, you know, people wonder. First thing I heard was, this means Derek's getting ready to leave. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, "Mm, hope so, uh, I'm about to disappoint you. I have no plans to leave. I I can't imagine that there is any other church uh, that I would ever be led to pastor. My resume in 13 years has never left the building. When people have asked me what I consider talking to them about being a pastor, I immediately say no. It's never happened. Plus, in case you've missed it, um, our first grandchild is due in August. And uh, woo, Yeah. Um, And so, my daughter-in-law is now holding us hostage uh, here in Johnson County. So, uh, no plans to leave. The other thing that came up is that, well, they're just getting Jonathan ready to be the lead pastor. Jonathan, where are you? Do you want to be the lead pastor? No way. He doesn't want to be the lead pastor. Jonathan, uh, um, honestly, every time I ask him to preach, his first response is, there's somebody else that could do it. And, And... Preaching week in, week out, kind of part of the gig. So he is, though, very gifted at ministering to people and leading people. And so he is in in a prime position to be able to do that job here. So that's kind of what lies behind. That's the real information about everything. And we're going to have an opportunity for you to ask any questions that you might have next Sunday evening. If you go to Hymns and Praise, I will be there at 4.30 uh, to answer any questions. And then at 5 o'clock, kind of a town hall meeting at the Annex across the street and we'll answer all the questions we can about it but the elders and I are very excited about what God is doing in Jonathan's life and putting him in this position optimizes us without increasing our staff to be as efficient as we can possibly be All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer together Father thank you so much for this church thank you so much for what you've called this church to do and Father I pray that as a congregation, as leaders, we will always be willing to adapt to be obedient. And to the degree, Father, that we as elders um, can discern your will, we believe that we are being obedient to it in proposing this to our church family. And so, God, uh, give us as an entire church clarity um, when it comes time for us uh, to vote uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, Father, help us to vote with conviction and then to look forward expectantly to what you have called us to do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, with that out of the way, why don't you open in your Bibles uh, to the passage 1 John chapter 2, find verse 22. 1 John chapter 2, find verse 22. That's where we'll begin our time today. A few weeks ago, I was um, looking for some, something to, to watch, and I found on Amazon Prime a series that I haven't started watching yet, but which intrigued me. It's called All or Nothing. It's a partnership between uh, Amazon and NFL Films, and what they do is they pick a team. It's been going on for a few years now. They pick a team, and they follow that team with their cameras in their meetings and their practices and their games throughout the entire season. This year, it's the Philadelphia Eagles, and that title seems appropriate to me because I would imagine that if you live in that world, if it's, if it's not just being a fan of it, if it's your job, it can very much feel like Super Bowl or bust, all or nothing. Think, for instance, how we all felt a year ago. When Patrick Mahomes wasn't even able to, to get the ball in overtime in the AFC Championship game and think how crushed we were as fans. And then just think back two weeks ago when, with just a few minutes left, uh, we were able to come storming back and we won the, uh, the, the Super Bowl. And how, how excited we were about all of that as fans. Can you imagine what it would have been like to actually have it be your livelihood, your goal in life, your Job. But sometimes all or nothing thinking is not helpful. For instance, it is not helpful to think, I will either eat all of the cake or none of it. I will either eat all of the lasagna or none of it. That is not helpful thinking. But there are times where all or nothing thinking is demanded. When you are taking a pill that has been prescribed to you by your doctor and filled by your pharmacist, you are engaging in a desire for the pharmaceutical company to have engaged in all or nothing thinking. That all of this medicine is good for you and none of it can harm you. When you make a deposit at the bank, you are... are Operating with the notion of all or nothing thinking that the bank is going to guard all of your money and not just part of it. Sometimes all or nothing thinking is demanded. Gallup takes a poll regularly of American religious life and they ask a simple yes or no question. Do you believe in God? And 89% of Americans in the most recent poll said, yes indeed, I believe in God. And almost the same number indicated a relationship with that God because they said, yes, I, on a regular basis, pray to that God. So the vast majority of Americans, almost 9 out of 10, believe that there is a God and believe that they have some kind of a relationship with that God. But if you begin to take the question down a little deeper, and ask the question as the Pew Research Center asked the question, do you believe in the God of the Bible? In other words, do you believe in the God of the Bible who led the people of Israel, having a covenant with them through Abraham, when it came uh, to the first century, shrouded, robed himself in flesh, born in a manger, lived a perfect life, died an atoning death, rose again on the third day, ascended to the right hand of the Father? Do you believe in that God? It's essentially a coin flip. A coin flip. So, so there are a vast majority of Americans say, I have God, all of them, But half of Americans would say they believe in the God of the Bible. Here is why this is important. The testimony of Scripture is that in order to have any kind of relationship with God, Not just an okay relationship versus a great relationship, but in order to have any kind of relationship with God, it's Jesus or nothing. You either have Jesus, affirm Him to be the Creator God, or you have nothing of God. And if you don't want to take my word for it, and I wouldn't, frankly, take the Bible's word for it and look at what it says in first John chapter 2 verse 22 who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ this is the Antichrist he who denies the Father and the Son. now there are two main pieces in that one verse that I want us to take in the order in which they come to us first John says that those who deny that Jesus is the Christ is a liar. Now he uses that word liar as a reference, as a rebuke to the false teachers that were influencing this little community of believers that he was writing to. He is saying that they are lying to you about the person of Jesus and saying that he is not the Christ. Now it's it's, It's it's impossible, given the scant evidence that we have from 1 John, to know exactly what it was the false teachers were teaching. But it seems, based on our best educated guess, that these false teachers were essentially saying Jesus was a good man, Jesus was a moral man, but Jesus was not the Creator God robed in flesh. Now, does that sound familiar? It should sound familiar. That is very much what you hear when you ask the average person on the street who Jesus was. You will get the answer. Good man, moral man, great teacher. Was he God? Come on. That's crazy. Not God. Not any more God than the Gandhi or or Buddha or Muhammad. Not God. And yet, John says... That if you deny that Jesus is the Christ, this Creator God, you don't have the Father at all. In other words, if you deny Christmas, you have no reason to have hope on Easter. Here's why that works. In order for us to be saved, in order for us to have our sin forgiven, there has to be someone worthy of bearing that sin and the only person worthy of bearing that sin would be someone who had lived a perfect life that perfect life could be exchanged in offering for all sin and the only way that that perfect life could be received as an offering for all sin would be for that perfect offering to shed blood now the only perfect being that has ever existed according to Christian scriptures is God himself. So God would have to become flesh in order to shed his blood in order for us to be saved. If you deny Christmas, you cannot have Easter. This is the reason that John says anyone who teaches that Jesus is not the Christ, the creator God, is a liar. Then he goes on to say this, He says that the one who would deny this is the Antichrist, the Antichrist. Now, Jonathan, when he preached this passage a couple of or last week, referenced briefly the the Antichrist. What is John saying? Is he saying that anybody who would come and say that that Jesus is not the Christ is the Antichrist, the one that most, not all, but most conservative Christians look forward to as being the personification of evil at the end times and leads mankind in a final full rebellion against God? Is he saying that anyone that says that is that the Antichrist? No. But he is saying that anyone who would deny that Jesus is the Christ has the same spirit of that one who will come. Now, I don't know if you get this or not. He is not speaking in glowing terms of anyone who would deny that Jesus is the Christ. If you deny that Jesus is the Christ, if you deny that he is the creator God and tell others that he's not, you're a liar. And if you believe it, you're infected by the spirit of opposition that will reside in the Antichrist at the end of time. Jesus is Jesus or nothing when it comes to John's thinking. It's Jesus or nothing. And if you doubt that, if you think I'm reading into something, he erases all doubt in verse 23. He says, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father. Also, if we deny that Jesus is God, we do not know God at all. We are actually denying that God exists. And people would say, well, I don't do that. I don't deny that God exists. I believe God exists. I just don't believe the Jesus stuff. What did John say? John says that if you deny Jesus... You don't know God at all. And then conversely, he says, whoever confesses the Son has the Father. It's Jesus or nothing. Now read verse 24. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. He uses this phrase a lot, what you've heard from the beginning. He's going back to the message that he brought them. When he came into their community people who were hopeless and and didn't know anything of Christ and his work. He brought them a message of a God who they could see and touch and hear. That which was from the beginning, that which we have seen with our eyes and heard with our ears and touched with our hands, that's how the book opens up. And he says, when I brought you that message, I brought you the message that Jesus is in fact God And he's saying if you remain in that, if you hang on to that, if it directs your life, if it's the rudder that steers the ship of your life, then you abide in the Father and you abide in the Son also. In essence, again, beating it into the ground, John is saying without any hope of misunderstanding him that when it comes to knowing God, it is Jesus Or it is nothing. And so now let's look at at the summary of all of this. These two points of affirmations that John makes in these verses. What we've already said. Number one. Those who deny Jesus is the Christ have nothing. Nothing of God nothing of Christianity, nothing of salvation, those who deny that Jesus is the Christ have nothing. Now there is this conviction that is baked into the secular mind that says that all religions at their essence are essentially the same. And that affirmation is well intentioned. Because what a lot of secularists do is they look at the history of the world and they see all of the armed conflict and all of the killing and all of the hatred that has risen up in the name of religion. And they hope that by saying, look, folks, we really are are really the same thing. The the way it is is that we're all taking different paths to the same summit. In saying that, their, their, their hope, their wish, their desire is that we would all just get along. But to say that all religions are the same is imaginative and ignorant of the facts. There's a man named Stephen Prothero who's a professor of religion at Boston University is a secularist this is not a Christian apologist by any stretch of the imagination. He's written a book called God is Not One and in it he begins to show how all religions are not just distinct from one another they're practically mutually exclusive he has this scheme which is very helpful to think about really as you begin to think about religion he, he says you need to think about what's the fundamental problem What is the goal and what is the means to that goal? So he has that scheme. What is the fundamental problem as that religion articulates it? What is the goal as that religion articulates it? And what is the means to that goal? Buddhism states that the fundamental problem of human existence is suffering. That the ultimate goal of human existence is this state of, of a blissed nothingness called nirvana. And that the means to that goal is following prescribed chants and meditations of the Buddhist religion. Hinduism believes that the fundamental problem of human existence is this vicious, endless cycle of birth, death, and rebirth and the goal is to break that endless cycle and the means to breaking that goal are selfless good works Islam believes that the fundamental problem of humanity is a is a self-sufficiency that the goal of humanity needs to be submission to Allah and the means to that goal are obeying the five pillars of Islam Christianity believes that the fundamental problem of human existence is sin that the goal is salvation, and the means to that goal is faith in Jesus Christ. Now, you tell me, in what possible way could we say that those religions are the same? They, are, they, are, they, they can't even agree on what the problem is, much less the solution. But it goes deeper than that. Buddhists, essentially, are atheists. They don't believe there is a God Hindus believe that there are more gods than you can shake a stick at. Uh, Judaism and Christianity and Islam believe in one God. They are monotheistic, but Christianity affirms that Christ is that God, which is blasphemous to the other two. How could you possibly say that all religions have God? One of those is right by definition of that religion. And all the rest of them are wrong. And so when Christianity makes the affirmation that you have Jesus or nothing, it means what it says. You do not know God at all. John is saying you do not know God at all. If you do not affirm Jesus as the Christ, you're saying, well, Derek, why does any of this matter to me? Why is is this something I need to hear? I'll tell you why it's something that we need to hear. And it's very, very personal. We have all known people that we love, children, brothers and sisters, moms and dads, aunts and uncles, who at one time in their life professed that Jesus is the Christ. They did that through baptism. They were baptized and they made a profession that I affirm that Jesus is the Christ and He is my Savior. But if you were to probe them now and to ask them now, what do you believe they would say, well, I, I really don't know what I believe, but I sure don't believe that Jesus was the eternal God and the one way to salvation. And we begin to panic as people who love these folks. And we begin to say, well, all they need, all they need is just the right book or, or, or the right church or the right friend. And, and then, and this is what we say, they'll remember what they really believe. And hear me. Jesus told a parable of the seed and the sower. It's recorded in multiple places in the New Testament. He talks about seed that is cast on the hard ground and the birds gobble it up. Then he talked about seed that is sown in the shallow soil and it comes up, but the sun comes out and withers it and burns it. Then he talks about seed that is thrown into the thicket and the thistle and it begins to come up, but the, the thicket and the thistles begin to choke it out. And then he talked about the seed which landed in the fertile soil and it yielded an abundant harvest. And in that parable that Jesus taught, the only one who authentically shows that they are followers of Jesus is that last seed in soil that has the abundant harvest. All others either rejected it outright or looked good for a while and then withered away and had, what? No life. So you are not helping your loved ones who are denying that Jesus is the Christ, the Creator God and the only means of salvation when you say, well, maybe you can just reconnect with the faith of old. What you need to be praying for them and how you need to be talking to them is as people who need Jesus as Savior. That there are others And especially in a suburban environment like ours, they're with us. Who come because that's culture. Who come because they don't want to make a spouse angry. Who come because they want to keep peace at home until they go to college. But who say, I don't really believe all this stuff, I'm just biding my time. I tell you this, not because I'm angry at you, but because I would suggest to you, you would be better off to renounce your membership and affirm authentically who you are as a skeptic who doesn't believe, and then come here honestly to hear and explore the claims of Christ rather than pretending until you don't have to anymore. There's practical benefit to hearing this today. We need to come to the grips with the fact in our own lives and in the lives of those we love that those who deny Jesus is the Christ don't have a little bit of God or need more of God, they have nothing. They have nothing. But then, positively, this passage tells us that those who declare Jesus is the Christ have everything. Have everything of God. Have everything of Christianity. Have everything of salvation. They have everything. Let's think about the goodness of everything. How does that help you? How does knowing that because you have surrendered yourself to Jesus as Savior and know Him to be the Creator, God who left heaven to redeem you, how does that help you on the practical level? Well, according to John, that gives you a personal relationship with the Creator of the universe. That seems to be a pretty good gig if you can get it. You have a personal relationship with the Creator of the universe. He knows your name. You're on a first-name basis with the one who spoke everything into being. That is good News, but there's more to it than that. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says that the chief end of man is to love God and enjoy Him forever. And so, when you surrender yourself to Jesus as Savior, embrace the salvation He has given to you, surrender yourself to Him to follow Him all the days of your life. You have a connection made in your life that causes electricity, divine electricity, to flow through you because you've discovered the purpose for which you exist. That's pretty good news. But the the end-all, be-all of all of this, if we were to poll the average Christian, is that you get eternal life. Let's think about eternal life for just a minute. If I were to ask you to define eternal life, most of you, most of us, would naturally define eternal life in terms of longevity. Well, that just means I get to live forever. But have you ever thought that there's at least a chance... That an endless existence might be hell itself? Think about it. I've never watched the show. Um, I don't even know what night it was on, but there was a show that recently ended called The Good Place. And in The Good Place, people die and they go to The Good Place and they get to be self determined and they get to kind of do their own thing and maybe they improve a little bit, but then it just kind of reaches a stasis where you're just kind of doing your deal. And In the the series finale, all of the characters made a decision to go through this door that would cause them to cease to exist. Basically, if you could put, put Buddhism in an entertainment framework, it would be the good place. They decided that just going on forever was not enough. Living forever, in a sense, could be a hell in itself. So there must be more to eternal life, right? The closest we get to a definition of eternal life in scripture is from the mouth of Jesus in John 17, 3. He says, and this is eternal life, John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is defined as a knowledge and as a relationship with God and when we as followers of Christ depart this earth we will go into an existence where we are able in an unfiltered way To adore the God of the universe forever and ever and ever. But don't forget, He is creating for us a new heavens and a new earth. And so in that new heavens and in that new earth for eternity, we are able to fulfill the purposes of God for us. We have something to do. We worship God and then we fulfill His will in the new heavens and in the new earth. Heaven is not going to be you seeing your old puppy and grandpa and playing a harp on a cloud for eternity. I mean, I, that doesn't seem like a good thing for me. I would get bored quickly in that kind of existence. But in that new heaven, in that new earth, with an unfiltered relationship, with a God for whom you're made, you, in an unfiltered way, know exactly what He wants you to do and are fulfilled in the doing that forever and ever and ever and ever. That is eternal life. And that's what you get when you get Jesus. Amen. Amen. But there's more to it than just coming to an intellectual assent. Okay, I believe it. I know it. It's more than just passing a theology quiz. John uses the term, he uses it a lot in his book, he uses the term abiding. And by using that word, he is saying that there is an ongoing, life-giving connection to this knowledge and this Christ and this Father. There should be no illusion in any mind in this room that all Jesus wants you to know is some stuff. He wants us to know him and to serve him and adore him and worship him, not just in the sweet by and by, but right now. John 10:10. 10, 10, I have come that they might have life now and have it more abundantly that's the everything it's literally everything that you get when you get Jesus and you are surrounded by family and by friends by neighbors co-workers and classmates who are good people, who make you laugh, whose joy gives you joy, who have nothing. And it's not just they're finding their way to God in another way. It's that they have nothing. And you know the one who can give them everything. How evil would we have to be to not share the message that leads to everything with those people? Let's go to a world that has nothing and hold out Jesus and the hope of everything. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.